If you're here for the first or second of time, uh, you came at a great, great time. We are in the middle of a series called Outside the Box, and uh, we're actually, we're not encouraging you to actually put your voting checkmark outside of the box, uh, but we do want to, uh, as a church, we're spending a few weeks talking about what it is uh, to participate in our political system. Uh, We think that as Christians, we really, or people of Jesus, we really are about life, and about salvation, and helping people know God. And uh, part of that is understanding our culture, and understanding the people that we're going to be talking to, and different viewpoints, and those kinds of things. Well, if you're hoping that I'm going to tell you how to vote, uh, you'll be disappointed. I'm very Canadian, and don't get to vote. And uh, so you can do whatever you want with your country. I'm just here, uh, like a guest, and uh, when it's time for me to go, I'll go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was not in my notes, uh, <laughs> because I'm not leaving. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, um, I immigrated. I came here on a uh, student visa uh, in January 17, 2000, and I came to the border, and it was me and my wife and all of our worldly belongings in a Ford Astro van, and uh, my brother and his friend had another uh, vehicle with a bunch of stuff that they were going to drive us down. And we moved actually to uh, northeast Georgia in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. It's an amazing place. And uh, we got there. And the border agent said to me, he said, so uh, you're actually, I was moving across. And my wife is a full citizen of the United States. Uh, we met in Canada and got married. And then we were moving down here. And uh, he said, so you're an intending immigrant. And I'm like, well, I don't know what you mean. I have him here on a student visa, and, uh, and he said, well, we're, you're never leaving, are you? And I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'd like to get a job after I'm done, you know. And uh, uh, truth be told, I always wanted to work in California. Uh, that means the West Coast. I didn't know there was anything but California on the West Coast. Uh, I didn't, if you asked me where Oregon and Washington was, I would say, uh, but... Uh, so there is, uh, I was an intending immigrant, and so I had some restrictions put on my uh, visa, because I came in on a student visa, the guy didn't like that, the guy at my border, he threatened to, in his words, break up my little marriage, uh, which I was like, well, that's kind of a, a fun thing for you to say, welcome to the United States, but um, I came in, some of you are already mad at me, because I'm an immigrant, that's awesome, but uh, so I came in, and uh, I, I like, went to school and that kind of stuff, and I started doing a transfer of my status or an adjustment of status, which is uh, one of the most fun things you can ever do with the government. Uh, uh, It used to be called the INS, and uh, I had to do a paperwork thing, and uh, just so you give a context to how much I love immigration, um, I had to do this paperwork thing and get this card, uh, and so I mailed in my stuff. This is before the internet, right? So I mailed in my stuff, and they mailed me back a thing saying, this is the time of your appointment. You show up at this time. We will call your name. You'll come up. You'll show your passport, and then you'll get your card. Well, from Canada at that time, you didn't need a passport, and so my passport had expired, so I was like, okay, so I need to get my passport. So I immediately filled in my stuff. But in Canada, they only process the passports through one office in Quebec, which is uh, like east side of Canada. So I mailed that up there with the fees and all that, and they were going to mail it back. But two days before my appointment, it still hadn't come back. Uh, And so it used to be that you could get your passport like at the consulate in Seattle or the consulate in Atlanta or something like that, and uh, but that Canada stopped doing that. And so I called the helpline for the INS. And if you're like, there's nothing good on TV and you're like, what should I do? 
just call a helpline from the government and uh, ask a question and then call back and ask the same question and then call back and ask the same question. It's entertaining because you'll get three different answers. And uh, so I called them and they said, oh yeah, just go down to your appointment. By this time, I think I had a Georgia license plate or like a license plate on my car and a driver's license. And uh, so I went down there and I'm in this room and being a uh, Anglo person in immigration in Atlanta is a hilarious thing for me. Uh, and, uh, and there's all sorts of different cultures and different things going on and confusion because people don't speak the languages that the counter people are speaking. And so this woman calls me up, James Carmichael, and I go up, and she says, passport, right? And this is the moment where things go awesome. And I say, well, I'm from Canada, and that's the, just the beginning of my sentence, not the whole sentence, but she thought that was the end of my sentence in which she said, do you think just because you're from Canada you get some kind of privilege? Do you think I care that you're from Canada? Do you think you can come in here from Canada and we're going to treat you different? And it was awesome. Uh, she was having the worst day, you know what I mean? Like working in her job was probably not what she, she's not having a good day. And, uh, and I get up there and I say, I'm from Canada. And immediately she has this, what I assume is jealousy, go through her. And... <laughs> And, and just this awesome reaction, and, and, uh, and so I waited till she was done, like totally patiently. Was, I'm sitting here going, this is the best, you know, like this is going to make a great sermon illustration in 18 years. And uh, so uh, she says to me, uh, and, and so she finishes her whatever was going on, and I said, well, and I sent in for my passport, and it hasn't come back yet, so I called the helpline, which again, she thought my sentence was done. And uh, do you, why would you call the helpline? They don't know anything on the helpline. Rah, 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 right? And so she starts going off on the helpline. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to tell you. Is there a different helpline that I can call that actually knows what the, is going on? And uh, so anyways, she tells me I had to go. She was going to do my work, my paperwork. But I had to immediately go to the consulate, leave there, go to the consulate, and get my passport, which was actually an impossibility, right? Like, you actually... Like, they don't do those there. I called. I went there. I tried. Like, I did everything. They only do them in Canada. But I'm not going to correct this lady because I've learned in my interaction she's not a woman to be corrected. <laughs> and so I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> You're going to do that right now. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> right? Like, what am I going to say? No. And uh, so I, I uh, finished. I got my paperwork. It was something so that I could work in a different job off of campus uh, because of immigration rules, and, uh, and I went home, and the next day my passport came. And so I, I did what she told me to, kind of. Uh, it is immigration, I think, is one of uh, just the most interesting things that is happening in our world today. Uh, to be a country that people actually want to move to is, a, is an amazing thing. Like, if you think about it in a worldwide and a historical sense, and I know there's a lot of people who are like, oh, America's going downhill, oh, everything's bad, oh, rah, 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 right? It is killer to live here. Like, it is incredible to live here. Like, being a part of what's going on in this random experiment called America, where you don't have a king, you don't have a queen, like, we don't, I don't know who's in charge, and you just kind of, I really, my first election in America was the one where Al Gore won, but he didn't get to be president. And so I was like, this is really, 
I don't understand how this works. I stayed up till like three in the morning watching that, and I was like, this country is awesome. Like, they don't, and, and I learned people vote with machines, and other people vote like that, and I'm like, nobody knows what they're doing. It's great, but... The, uh, imagine like you come from a foreign place and you sit down and you say, oh, the like, most organized country in the world is going to have a presidential election and this is what you get. It's like, I st- my wife went to bed and I was like, you've got to stay up. This is so awesome. But the, uh, anyways, <laughs> to think about in a global sense that people want to live in a place and don't want to live in another place is a, for me, a big, big, big thought. If you were to, like, if you were to just, if you're sitting next to someone probably or to someone in your row or something like that, right? And if you're sitting there and the person next to you was in a place where they couldn't see and they said, I need to move over, there's a chance you would look at them and you would evaluate in your mind really, really quickly if you're going to move over or not, right? Like, I'm going to move over one chair and you get to move over one chair. And you're going to start thinking about things like, can I see if I move over one chair? Or is that wooden and metal chair more comfortable than this wooden and metal chair? And then you're like, why am I even thinking these thoughts? And, and then you're evaluating, like, how awkward is this socially because I don't even know you, uh, you know, and I'm going to have to tell the people I actually came with to move down, or is there room on the far end? There's all these thoughts that are going to go on. And when immigration happens, it's all these thoughts, like, amplified and multiplied as far as these people want to come in and they're like this is where I am and they want to come into this space and so then how's that going to work plus as Christians you have to admit a certain amount of blessing at the randomness of being born in a certain place I'll never in my life get over how blessed in the world with billions of people that we are to be born in a certain place with peacefulness, with a secure government, with resources, with water, and limited hippies. But, uh, (laughs) and then there's people who through, like, I was born into this place, and then there's people, and through nothing, like I did nothing. And then there are other people who were born in that place where they don't have, the adults aren't behaving, the adults aren't creating a safe and secure government system, the resources and the natural resources aren't there for whatever reason. And so there needs to be, for Christians at least, an understanding of the responsibility that's inherent in the privilege of being born in a certain place. And so when we approach the, what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about immigration and refugees and that kind of crisis things that are going on in our world today. We're going to approach it not from a right or a left stance, not from a build a wall or open the borders kind of stance, but really from a stance of what does the scripture teach and where is Jesus in immigration and refugee crisis? Now, the Bible is clear on these The complicated part is that the Bible is clear on both sides. It's like this, and I'm going to talk about this on a Facebook Live this week. I'm not going to talk about it this morning, but if you didn't catch that, we're doing these Facebook Lives during the week so that we can answer some of the questions that are coming up. I'm getting a lot of messages uh, from different people in the congregation. I'm getting messages from people in Arizona and Nashville who used to live here and want to be a part of this series. I'm getting messages from other pastors who are like, 
oh, thank you. I'm going to tell some of my people to listen to your sermon because they are not in a secure enough church to be able to do this sermon series. And uh, uh, not in, some of them are, but some of them, there's just the amount of bravery it takes, seriously, Grove, to let your pastor tell you things about politics is very, very high. And so this is something that should be, you should feel good about. Uh, we're engaging topics that are difficult to talk about, and we're not punching each other on the way out. Hopefully. Uh, we'll see how today goes. <laughs> but there is... Um, we're, so we're going to do this Facebook Live. We might do two this week, but there is a... Uh, like the scripture says, just plain and simply, obey the government authorities. And so whatever the government's immigration policy is, you must obey it as a Christian. And then there's other scriptures that say, uh, plainly, uh, you do not listen to the government if the government's commands go against the commands of God. And so we end up with this refugee or this immigration crisis, and the Christian is sitting here having to deal with do I obey the government or do I do what God tells me to do? And that's the wrong way to say that. Do I obey the government because that's what God tells me to do? Or do I act with mercy and compassion because that's what God tells me to do? And so the Christian is stuck in the middle of this going, it is a terrible humanitarian crisis that's happening and I need to respond to that as a Christian. To ignore it is to actually ignore the things that Jesus says. But at the same time, to disobey the government is to ignore the things that Jesus said. And so the real crisis, and I'm not going to talk about this today, I'm just going to get you angry about it, and we're going to do a Facebook Live uh, this week, but we'll actually, it's the real tension that we live in as Christians is that we live in submission to a government authority that was established by God. That's what the scripture teaches. No matter who wins this election, the scripture teaches it's established by God. And then we live with a higher authority, which is Jesus. And Jesus said the things that we're supposed to obey 2,000 years ago and wrote them down in a different language, and we need to figure out what that means for us today. And so Christians have this, or sorry, people who follow Jesus have this really complicated task of navigating justice and mercy and obedience and compassion. So, Jesus is born in a town called Bethlehem. This is in Matthew uh, chapter 2. And an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he says. The angel says this to Joseph, which was Jesus' dad, if you're not familiar. Jesus' parents are Joseph and Mary. The angel says in this dream, get up and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod, who is the king at the time, is going to search for the child to kill him. And so he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night, and he left for Egypt, and where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Jesus is born... Oh, sorry, yeah, do that next verse. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, or you may call the wise men if you grew up in that tradition, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Jesus is born, and an evil king doesn't like that people are saying a new king is being born in Bethlehem, and so the evil king goes to this small village and kills 
all of the boys under two years old, hoping to wipe out the one who is called the new king of the Jews, which is Jesus. Jesus, his parents, are warned by an angel of this violence and told to get up and be refugees in a country called Egypt. Now, some people like to have fun with this and say Jesus was an undocumented immigrant because we have no record of his documents. <laughs> but that's kind of a, uh, not really the point. Maybe he was documented, maybe he wasn't, it doesn't matter. His experience as a young boy, Jesus' experience, was to have to leave the place where he was born. The parents of Jesus had to deal with their son being hunted to be killed by the government that God told them to trust. You and I, oh, Lord willing, will never face a choice like this. You and I will never face God coming and telling us, hey, the government is coming after your children, and so you need to leave and go to Canada. <laughs> you and I, you and I will never experience that. But Jesus' parents at the very beginning of his life did. There's a high chance that the first words Jesus spoke were Egyptian words. There's a high chance that the Son of God learned to walk and talk and do children's games with his Egyptian neighbors and his Egyptian friends. The guy that we worship, the guy that we're singing songs to, was a refugee, was an immigrant. And so if we wonder how we respond to immigration and refugees, then part of the question needs to be, how do we respond to Jesus? How would we have reacted if Jesus showed up at our border with his parents riding on a donkey with no money? The dad had a low-level industrial skill that they probably had their own workers who could do those skills, and he would be taking jobs away from regular Egyptian families, and they would move into that country, and what would we do with Jesus? It's hilarious to me because people always say, like, if Jesus showed up today, oh, we wouldn't kill him, we'd worship him and all that. And that's a load, you know that. <laughs> the people who were, like, expecting Jesus and knew Jesus killed him during his lifetime. And so there's no chance, I mean, it is rude of us to say we are more spiritual or more smart or know the scripture better than those people. That, that's, to me, rude historically. So if Jesus shows up on our border, do we accept him? And the policy is, well, no. Unless he can prove these things, unless they have some documentation, and since they didn't have any documents because they didn't have computers to print anything. Uh, Joseph and Mary didn't have electricity to run their computers. Uh, there would be a lot of complications. In the world today, uh, the most recent statistics are that there are about 60 million uh, displaced persons, people who have had to leave where they are in order to either be safe or have a better life, more than ever in history. And I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. It's a true thing. Half of those are children. Half of those. There are, this year, 
there will be about 50,000 children show up at America's southern border, children who are sent without their parents to try to give them some kind of safe or better life. The documentaries on this are heartbreaking. I can't imagine putting my kids on a train and sending them and saying, let me know if you get there safe. I, I meant, you can't imagine that. Many of the kids come from countries like Honduras, uh, which has a, a 90 out of 1,000 murder rate, meaning uh, 90 out of every 1,000 people will be murdered. Uh, to put that in context, our country has about a four or five out of a thousand as a nation, nationwide. Uh, it's a uh, insanely terrifying, oh sorry, I said out of a thousand, it may be out of 10,000. Uh, the point is theirs is 20 times higher than ours. And so the safe option for parents is to put their kids on a train and hope that they get through to some other country. Now, why that's happening and the regulations and those kinds of things are really complicated issues. I'm not saying we open the borders to everyone that's young. Uh, I'm not saying we do this or we do that. What I'm saying is as Christians, this should be a heartbreaking thing as well as something that has legal restrictions and policies built into it. To not feel or to turn off those feelings actually turns off the feelings that we would have had towards Jesus. The, uh, and there are 14 million people on this planet right now who are living outside of their country's borders because of violence or security or just refugee status. And the Syrian crisis right now has 9 million uh, Syrian refugees who've left. Who've left the country, the government that they trusted we would say they shouldn't have trusted that government, but if you grow up in their system, you don't know, you know. So there's people all over this world who are experiencing a life that's completely different than the life that we're blessed with here in the United States or here in the Western free world. And it is terrible. And regardless of what policies or what actions we take, it is across the board for people who follow Jesus the right response to feel terrible when evil is happening in the world that affects people in a personal way. It's the right response to feel for those people. Uh, 2 Corinthians 2.16 says that we are to have the mind of Christ. How does Jesus think about this? How does Jesus feel about this? And then... How do we feel about this? Deuteronomy 10, I'm going to read this. Oh, it'll be on the screen. Uh, Deuteronomy 10, uh, verse 17 says this. For the Lord, uh, your God, is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you. That's me giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. How does God feel about the immigrant? God loves the foreigners. And you are to love the foreigners because you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. 
This scripture is originally written to the Israelites who had spent hundreds of years in slavery in Egypt and God had freed them with the Passover and the uh, splitting of the Red Sea, Moses walking them out. We have movies about this because it's such an incredible moment in history. But in the scripture, we're taught that these are, that these people are our family. We trace like a biological family tree and you find out you're from here or you're from here or this is your ancestry. But your spiritual ancestry and your family, according to the scripture, once you're adopted in the family of God, this is your family. And so when we talk about the Israelites being in Egypt in slavery and God bringing them out, we talk about we. Whether you're Jewish or not Jewish or Israelite or not Israelite, if you're a follower of Jesus, the scripture teaches, this is your family. My family was foreigners in a foreign land. And so when foreigners come into my family's land, we accept them and we love them because God accepted them and loved them. There are prophets, the New Testament prophets go on to talk about not oppressing foreigners or taking advantage of them and, and that God's judgment will actually come in a particular way on people who oppress immigrants and refugees. And the scripture is always consistent that the people of God receive and attend to and love foreigners and immigrants. So for Christians, a policy that says no to anyone who is not us is unacceptable. A policy that says no, absolutely no, no one who's not like us is unbiblical, unchristian, is not following Jesus, is a terrible and heinous uh, stench in the nose of your God. Now that sucks. For those of you who wanted to build the wall to keep out all the foreigners, I got through. <laughs> I go through quite often. If you saw the video that we put online to announce the voting for this series, if you go up to the border with Canada, you can actually just walk back and forth. I did that several times on a Facebook Live. I thought it was hilarious. I'm like, America, Canada, America, Canada. Like, and nobody stopped me, you know. And there's a little parking lot with a park at the border if you follow I-5 all the way up. And, uh, and so we pulled into that park to park because I wanted to make this video on the border. And it's, it's amazing to me that there's two countries with a, such an open border. I, I love it. And, uh, and there's, a, there's this park and there's a street with houses and the street is Canada and the park is the United States. And so there's an uh, immigration and border protection uh, SUV parked in the parking lot. And uh, I, I drive by it. There's no one in the SUV. Like, if you want to sneak into Canada, it's remarkably easy. Just go over a block. <laughs> like, there's all these guards, and then there's a park that you can just walk across. Now, I'm sure there's drones with missiles pointed at those or something like that. <laughs> I'm not saying there is or isn't. I just need that healthy fear so that I don't decide next time. I'm just going to get an Uber and walk across that park, but... When we talk about immigration, we've got this thing in our hands, right? That God says there's only one thing the scripture teaches, love, receive, attend, immigrants. There's nothing else that the scripture teaches. Now, the scripture also teaches, we're going to hold that in that hand, our 
left hand for the sake of argument. <laughs> the scripture also teaches in the same scripture that you're to take care of the widows and the fatherless, which in their culture was the vulnerable in your society. And there's ample documentation and ample proof to talk about that immigration doesn't affect uh, middle and upper level incomes or middle and upper level um, uh, jobs or the marketplace. Immigration drives down wages in lower skilled and in more vulnerable populations. And so immigration, as much as you think it's bad for you because I don't know why, is worse for the most vulnerable people in our culture, which the scripture says, take care of the most vulnerable people in your society and in your culture. It's not an option. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you are commanded to receive and attend to and love and care for the vulnerable people in your society. And so if we're loving and receiving and attending all of the immigrants, we're actually harming the people who we're supposed to be taken care of. But we're commanded to do this, and we're commanded to do this. So how's that for awesome? The scripture teaches us plainly, love both of these people, care for both of these people, and to do so adversely affects one or the other. And there's no like magical in the middle. But there's a responsibility for Christians, not for the government. Like I'm not saying that the government needs to do something. I'm saying the Christians have to wrestle with the responsibility of these two things. Do we behave in this way? Do we behave in this way? And to do so affects the other group or the other person negatively. Do you see why this becomes a complicated issue and why it's something worth reading what the scripture says about? Five things and then I want to tell a story that Jesus told. Number one, and if you're writing things down, this is your moment, all right? Number one, love who God loves. That's what you're commanded to do. Love who God loves. If you're saying or feeling or thinking things that are not loving towards people that God loves, and God loves the vulnerable in our society, and God loves the immigrant and the foreigner who's living among you, if you don't love those people, you don't have the heart of God. Wow, that's aggressive. Two, show hospitality to strangers. This is Hebrews 13 too. Uh, it actually says, show hospitality to strangers, because some of you have, this is in the scripture, some of you will entertain angels unaware it actually, the scriptures actually teach that if you are hospitable towards strangers, some of you will be hospitable to angels who are walking among you. And I know this sounds all hocus pocus, but it's absolutely true. If you hang around enough spiritual people, they'll end up with great stories about that. I have great, great stories about that uh, from people who I look up to. Show hospitality, always. That's never not an option. Three, remember who you are. <laughs> this is 1 Peter 2.11 that we are called to live as aliens and strangers in this world. If you're a Christian and you don't feel like a foreigner living in a land, then your Christianity is unremarkable. As a Christian, there should be a certain amount of discomfort that you feel in the world around us. 
This is why you feel a little bit of discomfort talking about these things, right? This is why we feel little bits of offense when people do things or we see our culture going in a way that we don't necessarily like. You feel like I don't belong here. That means you're following Jesus because you actually belong somewhere else. At the moment that I was saved, at the moment that Christ entered my life, I actually became a citizen of heaven. The scripture teaches this. I'm not making this stuff up. I belong there. And as long as I stay here, I'm a foreigner living in a foreign place because I belong somewhere else. That's the advantage of actually being an immigrant to another country is I experience, and I mean, America is like, uh, Canada is like JV America, you know? Like it's, it's very much, uh, a lot of times our government says, well, we're going to make our decision as soon as we know what 10% of America's decision is and we're going to do that. Uh, like literally, that's how my country is run. It's awesome. But, uh, and by awesome, I mean the opposite of awesome. But, uh, but when, when you start living like, I don't really belong here, you start to understand what it is to be a citizen of somewhere else. So the things that this, first, that this world chases after, the values and the cultural norms that this world accepts are not the norms for my own personal life. For we pray for and we work for government policies that have compassion and mercy. And just. Our God is a just God and our God is mercy. And so we pray for our leaders, which is commanded in Scripture, and not just for our top leaders. I mean, and for half of us, the person who you vote for isn't going to be in charge next time. And judging from my first election that I watched, who knows which half that's going to be. But when you, when you have a leader, the Christian responsibility is to pray for that leader which doesn't mean you can't disagree with them, which doesn't mean you can't vocally disagree with them. You can be one of those people on Facebook that all your friends have hidden. <laughs> like, have at her. But you are commanded to pray for your leaders, and so we pray for our leaders from the top to the bottom. We pray for our local leaders. We pray for high-level leaders. We pray for state leaders, that they would be able to balance justice and compassion and mercy, because we as a people feel for this group and we as a people feel for this group and we need all the help we can get in helping people's lives be better in a global sense. All the help we can get. That's number four. Number five, and this is where I'm going to tell the story, is to love the neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm actually just going to read this story uh, rather than tell it because I like it and so if I tell it, I'll tell a long story. Jesus is more concise than most preachers. On one occasion, this is Luke chapter 10, on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the man, he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down, which means downhill, which means he was leaving Jerusalem, to Jericho. And he was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, 
leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, let me stop there for just one second. These guys are going downhill from Jerusalem. The priest is a religious class which was inherited because you were part of a family. You came from Aaron, who was Moses' right man, and all the descendants of Aaron were priests. A Levite was a religious class who all those people were descendants of Levi. And so within Israel, within Israel, the Israelites, there were these two religious classes of people who were racially that class. You didn't become a priest by being called. You became a priest because your family was Aaron. You didn't become a Levite because you wanted to. You were a Levite because your family was Levi. And so within Israel, there were three people, priests, Levites, Israelites, regular Israelites. And so when Jesus tells this story, the people are going, oh, there's the priest. Oh, there's the Levite. Oh, here comes the Israelite. Jesus says, <laughs> the Levite passed him. When the Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. So you know, Samaritans <laughs> were the most racially hated people that the Israelites had. Like they hated other people, like they hated foreigners, like Babylonians and Assyrians and Romans because they would come and war against us. But they hated Samaritans the way you hate that person in your family that's an embarrassment to you. And not just like because they got drunk at that wedding, but because they are actually an embarrassment to your family. They called Samaritans half-breeds because Samaritans were half-Jews and half-not. And they would racially be disgusted by these people. If you were traveling from northern Israel to Jerusalem and the fastest way was through Samaria, you would cross the river and take another highway and come back. Like it'd be like if you were coming from Portland to Albany and Salem was full of Samaritans and you would drive over to Bend and over and back across because you didn't want to go through and have the chance of accidentally having to talk to a Salemite. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, that's, my, that's, that's good. I'm down with that. <laughs> they would do this, though, because of racially profiling these people. And so Jesus says, priest, Levite, everybody expects Israelite, and they're excited because the priest and the Levite did not act in a very neighborly way. So now he's going to say the Israelites acted in a neighborly way. So now he's going to say we're awesome and those upper class special people, they aren't awesome, but we are and so my neighbors are all my people. And instead Jesus says priest, Levite, Samaritan and all the people here half-breed Samaritan. All the people here, the most offensive racial word that you could think of. And then Jesus turns the Samaritan into, his, into the hero of the story. Crying out loud, Jesus. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, and he brought him to the inn, and he took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, that's two days' wages, and gave him to the innkeeper and said, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you might have. Ah. 
That's a frustrating story for the people who heard it at first because Jesus is telling the story where it's going to turn out that we're awesome. And instead, Jesus says, the people who we persecute are awesome. And we say, wait, 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 where are we in the story? And we're not even in the story. The people listening are like, I thought this was a story about who's our neighbor. You know who the Israelite is in the story? The guy lying on the side of the road. That's an unfortunate place to be in the story. You're the vulnerable one who needs help from other people. As Western people, we never put ourselves in stories that we're the vulnerable people. You watch World War II movies because we killed it. The vulnerable people were the people that we went over to to help. Like Canada started World War II in 1939. America came and said, they brought their video cameras and won the war. And we're like, well, we've been trying this for a while, but it didn't win until America came. When we tell stories, as a culture, we tell stories about us being the strong ones, not the weak ones laying on the side of the road. We're uncomfortable with that story. And that's not like good or bad, it just is. We're uncomfortable with that. And when we want to know who our neighbor is, we want to know who our neighbor is, and what Jesus tells the story of is who sees you as their neighbor. It completely changes who sees you as their neighbor because you need some help. If you're asking the question in order to justify your own opinions, if you're going to the Scripture and saying, how can I find some Scripture that supports me? Like some of us, when I talked about the stuff that I'm holding in my left hand, we're like, yes, I like those Scriptures. And some of us, when I talked about the stuff in the right hand, we're like, yes, I like those Scriptures. And if you're looking in the Scripture for something to justify yourself, Jesus says, in this story, you're a person lying on the side of the road that needs help. And hopefully, someone will come and help you. And hopefully, for your own sake, it's a person that you're already prejudiced against. Can you imagine being that Israelite guy who's lying on the side of the road in his underwear, knocked out, he wakes up the next morning and finds out that someone he's racially prejudiced against helped him. Don't you wonder, like, is he mad? Is he mad at himself, or is he mad at someone else? He doesn't know that a priest and a Levite walk by him. He's laying on the side of the road. He's busy bleeding out. And here you are in this situation. So when it comes to immigration and the refugee crisis, The Scripture doesn't say whether we should build a wall or not and who should pay for it. The Scripture doesn't say whether we should let everyone who's ISIS come in our country and just have at her. It doesn't say anything about that. It actually says that you're to love people, and that loving people is going to put you in awkward situations. And isn't that the truth? If you don't love people, you can avoid awkward situations. But when you love someone, eventually it gets real. And if the people who follow Jesus are going to love the people that we talked about over here and the people that we talked about over here, eventually it's going to become difficult. And eventually we're going to need help. 
And God might send that help from somewhere that is very unexpected and maybe even unwanted. And we have this decision to make. Do we sit on the side of the road and say, please don't help me and just bleed out when we're in these terrible situations? Or do we allow people to help us? The question isn't, who do you love? The question becomes, who loves you? And are you willing to receive the love that people have for you? The question for America, I think, and this is the most political thing I'll say, is what's it like to be, not to, I don't want to get your head all big, what's it like to be the best country in the history of the world? Like literally the best country in the history of the world. And I know everybody can say nasty things about America, blah, 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 blah. There's never been a country as free and as strong and as reconciliatory and as like uh, working so hard to make the world a better place. There's never been one. And I'm not gonna, like, we're now gonna have like a Lee Daniels song and all that, but that's not gonna happen. <laughs> I'm from another place and I chose to live here because it's so cool. Like it's literally so cool. But what does that mean for us as followers of Jesus to live in a place with this much opportunity and this much uh, ability for benevolence and this much care for the world around it? It's a really difficult issue. And I'm just gonna leave you with that. I hope your first response is prayer. I hope your first response is how do I love more people around me? I hope your first response is worship because without God, this whole thing is just going to end up being frustrating. Without us understanding who we are and understanding who God is and having the mind of Christ, we'll end up just arguing against each other on what's the best thing we can do instead of people actually doing things that are best. So we're going to worship together, not just to close our service or not just to end things, uh, but actually because we think it's a significant thing. We're going to declare the greatness of God and declare the presence and the imminence and the care of God on us and on our world, on the people in our left hand and on the people in our right hand, on the people who walk by us and hate us and the people who stop to take care of us. Let's pray together. Let's stand. We stand to pray at our tradition, but let's stand and then we'll sing. The band can come up. Lord, um, in all of this, I think we would pray for wisdom. The scripture teaches us that knowledge puffs up, but wisdom builds up. And so we pray that you would build us up. We thank you for what you have given us and the blessing that we have. Just, for most of us, just by being born in a particular place, which we had nothing to do with. Somewhere in our ancestry, someone rode a boat over here. And we happen to be born in a place like this. And so we pray for us as individuals and us as a church that you would give us the mind of Christ and the heart of God and to be filled with the very spirit of God in our interactions with the world. Together as a group, we pray for those who lead us in a local and in a regional and in a statewide and in a national way. And we thank you for their service and we pray for wisdom for them. 
And we pray that your hand would continue to bless those that you love. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together.